I was like the scout, you know, for the baseball team or the football team looking for talent. But equally, I would think, okay, well, I've got a need here. Let me go and poach that talent. And so we shared one time (laughs) the Moneyball movie experience. And so I was playing the Moneyball. Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience. 20 minutes that simplifies the complex job of managing and leading people and inspires you to take action on what you probably already know to build and sustain a smart and healthy business. Here's your host, Ed Epley, to introduce this week's guest and business leader. Welcome, everyone. This is the Ed Epley Experience, your chance to hear from successful executives and identify ways for you and your organization to become more sustainable and more successful for the long term. We have a returning guest. We're in our second of three podcasts about the development of people. Today's topic is really focused on the development of high potential people, and I could think of no one better. I don't know of anyone who's done a better job and created more CEOs than this person that's with us today. He's Alan Crooks. He was formerly the CEO for BMW Financial Services for the Asia Pacific region. First of all, Alan, welcome back to the Ed Epley Experience. Good to have you with us again. Thanks, Ed, and great to be back again, and great to hear the voice again of a real knowledge. (laughs) You're very kind. I started to count the number of people that you have groomed and gotten to the point where they could be CEOs. And I know that it's more than one hand, and it's probably more than two if I really stop and think about it. But you really have earned the right to talk about this. I'm curious about when we talk about the development of people, did you have a formal strategy for what you used or how you thought about development of talent? I didn't have an actual formal strategy. And the strategy changed over time, Ed. But if I go back, where it evolved from was that Prior to joining BMW, I worked for a smaller finance company and the CEO for that company, great guy called John Hyatt, invested in me, as we mentioned in in the last podcast, took me through the Dale Carnegie training, but then he would go overseas every year. And then when he went overseas, he said, well, you're in charge, which was a great um, opportunity for me. But obviously the first time it happened was, was nervous and he'd go away for six weeks So that gave me the experience of leading at a very young age. I think I was late 20s. And as a result, that encouraged me when I joined BMW to give people the opportunity. I thought you were going to say it encouraged you to take six weeks of vacation. Well, uh, (laughs) if I was lucky, but I wasn't that lucky. But I did uh, actually take quite often overseas trips. And and that also came from him, which, which was also a good learning indirectly. But... In addition to Ed, when we started BMW Financial Services in Australia, it was starting virtually from scratch. We started with seven people. We grew that and we grew that over time. But what we also did was had a clear objective for developing people within. So if an opportunity came up for a new position, our priority was to give the people within the organisation that chance rather than bring someone in from new. So that was part of the learning and part of the experience. We had a lot of people that came through and developed over time. So to answer your question, the strategy when I started in the regional role, and I did that for just on 12 years, I started with six markets. Those six markets 
Australia, New Zealand, Japan, Korea and South Africa, I already had people in. But then as we grew the markets and grew the countries, that meant I had to find new talent. And the other thing to keep in mind, Ed, was that the CEO, CFO generally changed every three years. So that meant I had this rolling change of people. And if you do it, as you would say, the math, that meant that roughly I had 25 people that were going to turn at different times. So I then had to be very conscious, well, where do I get the talent? And as we expanded and had big markets like India, not only did we have to get a very good CEO and CFO, but also we had to get in some cases, head of operations and the chief marketing officer. So that meant, yeah, chasing talent, development talent, but the priority was to try and bring the people in um, and move them around. And as you know, we had many examples of um, Mm -hmm. bringing a CEO in, um, starting in a small market, developing them into a bigger market and then moving uh, moving them on. We did that from uh, also with many successful um, um, CFOs, and you, you know one that, that actually came out of Ohio now is is a CEO, but he moved over time in, into bigger markets. So it was the strategy evolved and the strategy did change, but by the end I was chasing talent, but I also was focused on retaining people, developing and growing them into a higher role. Right. I, I, I It just dawned on me that you have a, had an advantage that, that most people don't have in that you were having the uh, uh, predictable turnover, the predictable rotation of people from one position to another because of three-year stints. Um, that certainly made it simpler for you, I think, to, to, to get a cadence and a rhythm with regard to development of people. And then I was thinking the other thing is most of these markets were growing very fast. And so um, there was also just this demand for the organizations to scale, and that created opportunities to grow people in different positions, uh, you know, uh, 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 for them to progress up the food chain, if you will. I agree. And that, that point is, is, is valid that if you look at, say, Russia, India and China, they all grew. So we started from scratch and we grew them. But I also did have some um, one-off changes where either the CEO or the CFO left so then, then I'd always have to be conscious, okay, who do I have on the bench, if I use that term, to replace yeah. them? So yeah. it, it was constantly keeping ahead of the curve, predicting two or three years out and, and trying to make sure that I had those positions covered and, and certain times um, bringing in experience. For example, you go back to the China one, it, it grew much quicker than we expected. And as a result, um, luckily I was able to get the likes of Mike Weatherall, who was an experienced guy to help us grow that. But then it grew again, as you know, and and that's where I was able to um, bring in an experienced guy from the US market, um, great guy, Pat Cara, to run operations because we grew so fast. So I needed someone with a knowledge and experience from a big market and able to translate that into what we're trying to do in China. How often do you think... You you did something that you regretted in the development of somebody. I I I I don't recall you ever saying you put somebody in a position too soon that you put too much on them too quickly. I'm I'm, I'm guessing you did, but I don't 
I really don't recall you and I having conversations about that. Am I right? Or, or, or do you, can you really re- remember a specific instance where you wished you had not put as much on somebody as you had? Yes, there's, there's probably two examples of that and, and um, where I, I did make that mistake. I put someone into a role, into a CEO, and it, and it was too early. And then it happened again where I thought this person has the potential to be a CEO, and, and I think they did, but, but for, for different reasons it didn't work out. So it, it did happen, but, but luckily... For me, it, it didn't happen that often. But but uh, but as, as always, you you you're dealing with people, and as always, you're uh, as I was doing. I, I was um, trying different things and taking risks, and sometimes they don't always work. And as I say, two standouts that didn't work for me that that I had to change. Were you able to rescue them? Were you able to save them and keep them within the organization, or did uh, did you have to part company? Um, on, on those two occasions, we had to part company, which was disappointing because you feel that you, you, you let them down as well. But, but as I say, that's the, the downside sometimes of, of making those changes and, and they don't quite work out. But in hindsight, yes, I, I wouldn't have done that and, and I would have developed them in a different way or taken someone else as an alternative. So for the audience's sake, uh, development of high potential people, in my mind, I don't know if this is true for you, Al, but in my mind, I feel like the way you develop people with high potential would not be exactly the same way as you would develop the average person. I've, I'm, I'm, I'm of the opinion that you would have to put bigger challenges, more rigor, um, maybe even in some cases, tougher conversations with somebody who's not um, realizing all of their potential. So, you know, sometimes these high potentials can have an inflated view of their own capabilities. Uh, I would think so. I'm I'm curious if you if you see there's any difference in developing the high potential person versus other talent. I, I agree with you, but but also um, you, you mentioned about that that they have a high view of themselves. So that that's also something you you need to be conscious of. If you have a high potential, they see themselves as as maybe better than the others or better than than other, their colleagues around them. So you have to. Also, give them sometimes a reality check, which which means perhaps testing them where they do fail to bring them back to a bit of a level. But but your point is is right that developing of those high potentials is probably a bit more um, a challenge than than developing a, a person that doesn't have that same um, standout quality. I guess part of the reason I feel like uh, humility may be something that they have to develop yes it is because they are so quick they're so bright they're so sharp they oftentimes they do know the right answer but again sometimes i think it just gives them a sense of uh ent- not entitlement that's not the, but but uh it, it can cause them to come off instead of self-confident to the point of arrogant which is terrible for their career we don't want them to be arrogant no exactly but i think that's also where um Putting them into role, you, you need to be conscious of what role you're putting them into. And in my case, I had different markets at different stages of development and different challenges. And there's two very high potentials that stand out for me. Now, they went into different roles in different markets, and I did that intentionally because um, one of them 
uh, exceptionally talented guy, went into to a challenging market, but but I knew that he could handle it, and he did, and did exceptionally well. And uh, another CEO that that I saw a, a number of times, high potential, and but he'd never been a CEO, so immediately I, I put him into a CEO role, and and. Um, but he also did an outstanding job. So it depends on the, the person and, and also the role you're putting him putting them in, I think is important as well there to, to try and yeah. match that development step if if I make that point. Yep. I, I love it. Do you think BMW's uh, round portfolio round tables, how, how critical was that to uh, the development of people? That 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 it's probably the most rigorous uh, evaluation of people that I've ever been around. And when I mean rigorous, it, it was, it was consistent. It was uniform and people, people were going to get thoroughly viewed both by their boss as well as people who worked with their boss. So I'm, I'm curious about what role you felt that played. I, I believe that was a great asset to the development of people. And, and it was a great tool for me to be able to firstly identify talents and secondly, um, focus on the, the the areas that I saw as important. So if the portfolio process um, was an annual review. Um, so you you were required to get um, input for two external partners. So you had an external input into how that let, let's use example CEO was going. But, but then the assessment itself was broken into four parts. First part was on target achievement. And, and the next three were what, they, what we called management house. In other words, how did you manage yourself? How did you manage the people? And how did you manage the business? And so it gave a really good focus on um, the, the people's ability to to manage, and, and that's where where I was more interested in. Yes, I, it was important that the that the CEO and the market get their targets, but for me, I was more orientated to how do they perform in, in those management aspects. In other words, how do they lead? And, and leadership was what's what I was looking to. So, as you said earlier, Ed, uh, it gave a good global view of the people and and what would happen is you'd have an annual i was fortunate that i was part of the bmw uh, financial services um, global um, committee as well so i got perspective on all talent across the world um, so that helped me identify future talent but but also um, guiding the um, ceos as well in that I had because I had 10 CEOs at one stage this portfolio process was a great tool to be able to to guide them direct them and help them focus on what I saw more important it was how are you managing or how are you leading how, uh, give me those four components again of the portfolio that you what were they so the target, target achievement yeah and, and the three the next three was more on management managing yourself managing people and managing the business. Okay. Well, it was a great tool and, and, and a great tool to review and, and have consistency across the board. Ladies and gentlemen that are listening in the audience, you would never want to play poker with Alan. 
he would have no idea whether he had good cards or bad cards. So he's an absolutely tremendous poker face. And then the second thing is he is sneaky smart. And uh, I don't know if he had the reputation as being a poacher of talent, um, but somehow he, he, he would get the skids greased and somebody would show up from another region who had really good capabilities and somehow Alan, Alan would get the pick of the litter. It seemed like to me, um, I don't, you don't need to respond to that. It's just, just a little observation for me. For no, the audience. That, uh, I, I thank you for your compliment, but, but, but yeah, I, I was like the, um, scout, you know, for the baseball team or the, um, yep. football team looking, looking for talent, but, but equally, um, as you said, there were a couple of occasions where people from other regions were either sidelined or not seen as important. And I would think, okay, well, I've got a need here. Let me go and poach that talent. And so we we shared one time <laughs> the um, Moneyball movie experience. And so oh, I, yes. I, I was playing the Moneyball um, exercise he, often. You, Ed, yeah. you, and you did it so well. You did it so well. Yeah, I, Pat Carrick comes to mind is when you poached. And, and, exactly, uh, home, yeah. yeah. Home and, run hitter, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. And, and, and the other one in, in, in the same vein was Tom Stepanchek. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's who, right. who came and did an outstanding job when we needed experience and knowledge in in India then he he did that so well um I said well now I, I need help in Japan because we need to grow the the sales and marketing and the product line and so luckily he agreed to that and, and once again I think five <laughs> years did did a great job there so yeah that that money ball was was important movie for for reinforcing what we were doing it yeah um so this extraordinary number of people that you developed to become CEOs, how much of that success do you think came from the potential? In other words, were they destined to become CEOs regardless or how much of it came from the training development uh, conversations you had with them? What, what, what percentage do you think uh, was innate that they were just going to probably get there anyways versus what you did and maybe helping them get there faster? Oh, that's a hard question in terms of percentage, but 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 like my experience, Ed, um, as a, as I started on the journey, I, I never imagined I'd ever be a CEO, let alone CEO for for a number of countries and, and, and a region. Um, so I think a lot had to do with um, the investment in training. What you were doing, I think, was was a great part of it, and that's why I really enjoyed the NLI ALI. And, and you regularly going to the markets and, and helping the um, people in the first line predominantly improve and train. So I think a lot to do with it was training and knowledge, and I think a lot to do with was growing them into different roles. Um, so they got confident, they, they got better at what they were doing, and, and they saw the opportunity. And I think that's, that's also coming back to your point earlier, we were lucky that we had these growing markets that we could grow the people and grow them into a higher role. And and then they became um, CEOs over time. Again, for the audience's benefit, I would, I would venture that probably 80% of them would have become a CEO at some point. Yes. But I, I, I think probably 20% may not have. And then I, I, but I can tell you without exception 
I think they all got to a higher place more quickly than they otherwise would have. I think their capacity was developed more quickly than it normally would have been in most organizations. So I, I give Alan, you a disproportionate credit for making that happen just by the, the, the amount of time you spent on that. In fact, um, you know, people I think by now are grasping the idea that you had a big job. So how much of your week was spent on talent? If you had five days out of the week, is that, was that a one day a week overall, you know, collectively at 20% of your time went into talent? Was it, was it more or was it less? I think it'd be at least that, if not more, because that was, that was my focus because my view was, Ed, was that if I got the right um, people in the right roles and the team right, and, and that was important if you recall that we were also focused on the coordination of the team and we had some great examples of that. And, and you remember uh, um, David Blue and Kirk, for example, as CEO, yeah. CFO, CFO, outstanding. Yeah. Um, Jim Oski and Uva, uh, some great yeah. uh, success in, in Japan. So it was important. And you even go back, Leopold and Serge in Japan. So that was also a, a big focus. Have I got the right team? Is, is the dynamics right? And I go way back in, in Russia. When we first started Russia, I had the right CEO, I had the right CFO, but then I didn't have the right um, sales and marketing, so I had to change that that person. And and yeah. the person I picked up came out of the US, um, and, and but he was experienced and the dynamics improved. So that was, yeah, to answer your question, it was at least a day or if not more. That was my focus, get the teams right, get the get the people right, look for new talent and continually make sure that the, the organization is running in the right direction. Our friend Andy Follows was, was somebody you coached very hard to the point that you coached him, I'm going to say, out of the business. Um, I, I know you didn't push him out as such, but but you, you knew that his career was destined to be uh, get involved in the development of others. Um, was that unique and was that a unique instant where you you helped him achieve something that he knew he wanted to do but wasn't sure how to go about it? I mean, you how often did you work with people to to achieve something outside of directly benefiting BMW? To answer that question and using Andy the example that that, that was the um the exception. My priority, as I said earlier, Ed, was to develop people and retain them. That that was yeah. the focus. Uh, I, I, I was, was growing them, developing, but of course, there, there were times when um, people had opportunities outside and and took those. There was there were situations where, unfortunately, we lost some great talent. That that was disappointing to me, and and you know those examples, really disappointing because I believe they hadn't fully reached what I saw as, as their ultimate potential. But for, for different reasons, they, they left the organisation. <laughs> but to come back to Andy's example, Andy was um, passionate about learning development. He was exceptionally good at, at coaching, leading, and I could see that that's what he, he, he was good at. So I encouraged him, gave him the opportunity gave him the confidence and, and yes, um, pushed him in, in, into developing that firstly in, in New Zealand. Then he did it, some um, seven habits training in Australia. Then he did that on a regional level. 
he did it on a deal level. So I gave him those opportunities and experiences whilst he was also running New Zealand. But but that was a standout example of a person had this talent and look what's possible. Um, but no, that was an exception. I, I was okay. I was more focused on I, I wanted to retain the people. I wanted to grow them, and I wanted to. Um, see where their their ultimate potential was because I believe they had greater potential. I suspect there's a great deal of loyalty that still remains between you and these people you helped grow. You're too humble to spend much energy thinking about it or caring about it. But I've always said, if you want to create loyalty in someone, if you play an instrumental role in their growth and development, if you help them get to another level of performance, not because you did it for them, but you just created scenarios where they had an opportunity to make that leap, that they're usually forever grateful for that. And I'm wondering if the folks in the audience would even, you know, think about that right now, retaining talent so hard, but I'm guessing you would have a better chance to retain somebody today if they knew you were committed to their growth, their development, their future success. I'm wondering what you think about that. I agree totally, Ed. Again, coming back to my own experience, I had that opportunity, as I say, prior to BMW, I had a very great CEO that did that for me, invested in me, gave me the opportunity, put me into projects, as we discussed last time, to move around the world, visit countries, also three months in Spain. So that created a great loyalty. And if I look at some of the people that are still in the Australian organisation, 25 years, that's because we did that. And you know that the current CEO in Australia, her only job has been at BMW. And I think a lot to do was what the organisation did to grow and develop her. Yeah, And that does create loyalty. But, but that's why I was doing that as well, because I, as I mentioned earlier, I wanted to retain the people. Retaining the people means investing in them and that creates the loyalty. And I think for the benefit of the audience, it would be important for them to know that BMW never overpays anyone for their jobs. <laughs> Is that fair to say, Alan? <laughs> Our aim was always to be in the top quartile, but of course, no, never overpaid, And but we always paid fairly and we always paid where I think the market was, but never overpaid because that's a short-term fix and it doesn't work over the long term. So if somebody's in a smaller company, let's just say they're they're in a 50 to 100 person organization and they aren't growing at, you know, 20% annually. So it's not a, a necessarily a rapid growth environment, but steady growth. What's one or two things as the CEO or president or owner of that company, what's one or two things you would give them advice to make sure if they don't do anything else, if, if they want to develop their high potential talent, what would you ask them to do? I would focus on where the opportunities are to further develop some of those people, try and move the people around. You might have a person that's been a CFO, for example, for 10 years, switch him out, take him out of his comfort zone, put him into an operations role. So move the people around, create change and see how those people handle it and create that opportunity. Invest a lot in training, as we did, and learning. Allow them to go to different courses and bring in some external people to help them understand the opportunities of how the overall economy or or the market's growing. I think that's important to give them variety. He's 14 hours ahead of us. 
So he's not usually available for phone calls. But if they wanted to reach out to you, Alan, what's the best way to do that? If somebody had questions, what's the best way for them to connect with you? Yeah, via my email, Ed, it's alancrooks5 at gmail.com. And it's Alan, A-L-A-N, Crooks. C-R-O-O-K-E-S, number five at at gmail.com. You're a gentleman. You're a prince to have in my, I'm going to date myself, my Rolodex. Obviously, I don't have one of those, but (laughs) it's so nice to be able to spend time with you, Alan, anytime. But uh, I know our audience is going to get a lot from this conversation. So as always, a lot of good information, short period of time. And he's Alan Crooks. He's a good man. Thank you, Alan, for joining us once again on the Ed Epley Experience. Thanks, Ed, for having me. And great to connect again with you. And please continue the the great work you're doing. My plan. (laughs) I hope to do it. Cheers. Cheers, Alan. Thank you for listening to the Ed Epley Experience. For more information on building a more sustainable, smarter, and healthier business, visit www.theepleygroup.com for resources, tips, and Ed's latest blogs. That's theepleygroup.com. Plus, take a free assessment at theepleygroup.com slash assessment to find out how you measure up as a highly skilled and accomplished manager and where to focus on improving your skills. 